I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Lolo Reskin is from a family of musicians, so music was in her blood and ultimately led to the creation of Miami's iconic record store, Sweat Records. But the waters of Miami are often filled with doubt and skepticism. It was really validating for us to, for people to be like, oh, you're going to open a record store, hand them a flyer with an address and say, yes, here's where it's going to be. Like that was yeah. very, very powerful. But no, when we first opened, we were like asking the New Times to cover our opening and they literally gave us the tiniest paragraph that was like in semi-music related news Swit Records opened its doors today with a party with Otto von Schirach and a bounce house and whatever and three months later we're on the cover. Sweat Records has been grabbing headlines and grooving since 2005 so drop the needle and take a spin with an all new classic vinyl episode of Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Costa Rica at the Fancy Nasty Studios, welcome to another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg, and that in Costa Rica is Stuart Sheldon. Stu, after our last guest, Miss Katie Hathaway, I am inspired, and I'm going to go protest this afternoon at a school board meeting. So how about that? <laughs> when was the last time, When's the last time you held a sign in protest? Mm, damn, bro. Um, it's been actually two years. I did it here in Costa Rica on Earth Day, but that's too long. And I'm, uh, you know me, man. I'm a sucker for someone that goes to a board meeting and does the <laughs> thing. So thank you. And Katie, thank you. We love you. Yeah. And our guest today, Lolo, how about you? When's the last time you stood out there in the heat and said, what the hell's going on here in America? Well, during COVID, there were a lot of protests in support of the United States Postal Service, without which my business could not operate. So we actually organized a uh, Hell Yes USPS protest, and a bunch of us stood outside the post office in Midtown Miami and made some ruckus and got on some news channels. <laughs> okay, so I've already fallen in love with our guest today. She's, she's <laughs> fiercely, fiercely supporting the post office, and who doesn't like that? Um, <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. Uh, in 2019, the Miami New Times tweeted, quote, does anyone know Miami music better than Lolo Reskin, unquote? Music is in this woman's blood. Lauren Reskin, better known as Lolo, is the founder of Miami's iconic sweat records. Lolo's father is a Juilliard graduate, professional trumpet player and composer. Her grandmother, a concert violinist, released records on the inimitable Decca Telefunken. Her grandfather opened Allegro Music House in 1961, making Lolo the second Reskin to open a South Florida music store. Even her great uncle, Alan Freed, was the infamous 1950s radio DJ who coined the phrase rock and roll. Damn. In two, right? Yes. In 2005, our guest opened Sweat Records, I must visit destination for vinyl lovers in Miami. She's a sought-after DJ and cultural leader, and it is such a great pleasure as a Miami native to welcome this bona fide local hero to Swan Dive. Nice to see you, Lolo. Thank you so much. That's so nice. Appreciate it. 
You're Thank welcome. You. Well, you clearly grew up around music at a high level. Was there always music playing in your childhood? And if so, how did that inform your heart, your soul, your spirit? Yeah, I mean, if there wasn't music playing, it was my dad practicing his scales. Because if you play the trumpet, you got to keep your chops in shape. So, you know, I can pick my dad's warm-ups out of a, an orchestra pit with no problem whatsoever. And, hmm. you know, he's been a working musician my whole life. He did everything from salsa gigs to fancy weddings on Star Island to being in the pit when, you know, a show like Les Miserables or something would would tour and hire the local union musicians. Uh, and he's still active to this day. He is in his mid seventies and he's still the president of the local musicians union. Oh my God. It's not that big anymore, but you know, it still helps a couple hundred people. Does wow. he listen to vinyl? My dad? Yeah. You know, he, 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 he's, has not gone back to the format as, as many other folks his age have, but he has a CD collection and he's really into his library card. He rents all sorts of CDs and DVDs from his local library. I love it. Wow. Well, you're, you started Sweat Records. Um, and by the way, Sweat Records is a few blocks from my house in Miami. It's just a charming little super local, warm, fuzzy, delicious space. <laughs> and when I refer to it as iconic, I am not blowing smoke. For example, in 2019, Men's Journal did a wonderful feature on Iggy Pop. The father of punk rock music has called Miami home since 1995. Very few people know that, by the way. But he referred to our city, to Miami, as a great little dumpy dump. <laughs> and in the piece, he exclaims that with a little searching, you can enjoy a plate of roti as delicious as you'd get in Jamaica. He also recommends looking in the windows of the Santeria stores uh, in Cuba, uh, in Little Haiti, and, uh, and Little Havana. And stopping off at South Florida's most popular record store, Sweat a place that pop has championed for over five years now. So to say that you've created something substantial, if Iggy Pop is endorsing you, then wow. With nearly 20 years now, looking back, Lolo, how does that achievement sit with you? What do you, do you think of it as an achievement? What, what does that feel like? It, it's a little crazy just because it was a project that we started with, a lot of passion and a lot of love and absolutely no plans for the future. <laughs> right. When we first opened, we wrote down our sales in like a Lisa Frank spiral bound notebook. And now we run like some of the most amazing retail platform software you can run. And we have a super organized system and, and better records than we've ever had. So it's, it has been a million journeys layered on top of each other as far as where our location's been, what who the staff has been at any given time. We were a coffee shop for a while. We went through COVID. We went through a hurricane. We've gone through burglaries. Like it, it is just been such a wild ride. I cannot, it's nothing I could have even dreamed of when we first started. And, you know, when we first started, our whole goal was to let people know that Miami isn't just its stereotypes we're not just in salsa music and hip hop, even though we're all of those things and it's great that we have them and we're so good at them, but we do have kids that like goth music and folk music and weird ass electronic music and guitars in general and world music. And so, you know, we wanted to be here to represent for all those people because we knew they existed. Miami's just so incredibly spread out and we really wanted to be the portal that if you came to sweat, you could find a flyer and say, oh my God, so-and-so is coming to town or, you know, right. find a new record. Because that was 
how I found the little bits and pieces of Britpop culture and random indie stuff in Miami back in the nineties was walking into like a vintage clothing store and finding a flyer. So right. I wanted to be in one of those spots where people could find the flyer. Wow. Yeah. I love the no plan seat of the pants kind of just, let's just a ready fire aim, you know, approach. I mean, we're all about that here at Swan Dive. Um, you were a Girl Scout and yes. I imagine <laughs> that gave you some level of resilience. What did you learn from that experience? Um, I definitely am always prepared. And from my dad, I definitely did learn punctuality and the importance thereof because he was a gigging musician before there was even MapQuest. So if he had a gig in Broward or Palm Beach, he was leaving an hour and a half early because you could you never knew the traffic, you know. So he, he really impressed that upon me. And, you know, as a DJ, I, I always tell people like I've never posted a mix online. Like I have some playlists up and stuff, but I shine live and I've gotten gigs all over the world just by being incredibly professional, punctual and knowing my shit. So, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to do things one certain way. You can sort of, you know, build your reputation on other things. So this resurgence of vinyl, you know, is it the combination of nostalgia and fidelity or is it one over the other? Why is it back? So it depends on who you're talking to, right? Um, we like to say it is a lot of older folks starting their second music collection and younger people starting their first music collection. Cause I grew up with CDs and tapes and my parents' records, my younger brother, he didn't really get the tapes, but he had the CDs and then everyone younger than him and us, you know, they've almost never had a physical music collection. And for something that's so, you know, deeply aesthetic from its, you know, the, the record itself to the packaging. I mean, you get to see the artwork this big instead of this tiny icon on your phone that you barely see the cover art, you know, that's attractive. That's alluring. It's tactile. It's IRL, you know? So I really think that there's a seed of rebellion in music period. And maybe that's because of who my great uncle was, but it's always been something I felt. And what better way to rebel against digital culture than by buying a giant analog piece of vinyl? Well, I just remember back in the day when I first got my CDs and it said stamped on the back, never before has there been such a high level of fidelity outside of the studio. Remember that little stamp? And as I was putting that on my iPod. When you started in 2005, vinyl was, vinyl sales were at one of their low points um, since vinyl kind of went out of, you know, vintage, if you will. But then beginning in 2006, somehow, miraculously, they've gone up over 25% a year. Um, so first of all, bravo on your entrepreneurial <laughs> chops. Um, and, and, and also, you know, the culture, I lived in San Francisco for many, many years and uh, been to Burning Man and have some dear friends that are DJs and the culture, the passion around record shopping, Amoeba Records was like, you know, the kind of mothership of mm-hmm. vinyl heads. And it, 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 it it's... It's I, I'm amazed by like by by niche passions and the passion mm-hmm. around vinyl is really deep and really niche. Yeah, well, you, you definitely nailed one of the parts, which is th- those people who are into specifically electronic music, hip hop, and like punk college radio stuff were the ones who kept vinyl alive through the mainstream sort of bottom of the of the format, right? right? So Got those it. 2005 years, even though major labels weren't really pressing their new releases. Matador was, um, Warp Records was, hip hop records still put put out 12 inch promos 
to their DJ pools because you better believe they wanted all those people to have that music. Right. And so that's really what kept vinyl alive through those like, you know, leaner years of the format. And, you know, thank God, right? Because that's the stuff that we love listening to. And that's why when Sweat first opened, we were like 50-50 CD and vinyl. Um, and then as the vinyl, you know, kept expanding and kept getting, you know, more and more interest in its revival. Now we're like 90% vinyl at the store, if not more. So you right. kicked and all the CDs out. All the CDs are out. It's all vinyl. We have some CDs <laughs> and some tapes. Well, yeah. let, let, so let me ask you this, just for those that don't know, they're the, what used to be um, the largest electronic music conference in the world, uh, winter music conference happened in Miami from like, 2000 give or take to is it still on, is it still ongoing yeah they yeah. still do wmc um i was on a panel a year or two ago with dj jazzy jeff it was awesome oh mm. wow well there you go so um this was the confab uh worldwide of of djs and not just djs but the business of of electronic music and promotion and music production and so forth um and of course, that was sort of ground zero for the people that love vinyl the most. And you were right there. You were the local shop for the vinyl heads to just be. And I suspect that that, that you know, you were really, that was like a high watermark each year for you when, when Winter Music Conference came around. Were you part of that culture very much? Yeah, I mean, I used to more go and enjoy it, you know, because we weren't on the beach and it used to be a lot more beach focused, like we would only really get the intrepid souls who crossed over the bridge to us. But, I um, see. you know, the, be, between Winter Music Conference, our Basel, Three Points, there's like a lot of points around the year now that we get a nice little boost of like cool weirdos coming into the shop, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, though, who collects vinyl has changed. And these days, you know, it's funny, five years ago, if you had asked me, oh, is it DJ shopping at your store? I would have said, hardly any it's more home listeners home collectors people just enjoying it in their living rooms but now vinyl so popular again in general that there's like 10 new bars in miami that have turntables that are hiring vinyl djs on a regular basis so now we are getting a lot more djs back shopping for vinyl in the store because they're playing it out again so it's just really cool to see the the trends come and go that's a really good segue because you were 17 when you landed your first dj residency and you've been spinning regularly at clubs and museums and events and around the world ever since. Um, and you're very well known DJ. I have been a recipient of your skill set, and you crush it. Um, tell us about your evolution as a DJ and what it's been like to, you know, watch DJ culture evolve with you. Sure. Um, I've always sort of felt like I was on the selector side of being a DJ. Like I'm not the era, era, ricka, ricka, you know, scratcher, mixer. I mean, I, my sets flow, they're perfectly set up, but you know, I always want the moment where someone comes up to the booth and says, what are you playing? Or, you know, Mm. now, nowadays we're pulling out the Shazam, you know? So those were always the really special moments for me at at clubs back in the day and, and, and to now, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a semi-retired DJ these days. I just, you know, do, do special gigs that sound fun and, and mean something to me. I, I just opened for Hermanos Gutierrez at the Miami Beach Bandshell, and they're one of my favorite groups right now. So that was perfect because I got to play a set of like 
beautiful chilled out music to a crowd that was there to see beautiful chilled out music you yeah. know you can't yeah. always play that stuff when there's a dance floor about to happen so that was to me like such an opportunity um i did a lot of weddings for music nerds over the years there's a lot of people who you know have the kind of taste i have or you know have really specific things in mind when they think about their wedding day and don't want to hear the black eyed peas or whatever mainstream thing they're just not into. So I, I did a lot of those all over of um, weddings with really specific, like nothing before 1970, no problem. You know, I am so with uh-huh. you uh, back in my youth, I did do weddings and it was the bane of my existence. And now when I, uh, when I go and see a DJ and they're just set up on a computer and they just have the one output into their speakers, I get annoyed with them because I think back to the time when I schlepped pounds and pounds and pounds of milk crates. And I still never had enough because somebody would always come up and say, do you have this? And I didn't, you know, so it's like, I hate it makes you want to shout. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I get it. I, I get your, <laughs> I get your um, very specific needs in some of those weddings because they can get off the rails real quick. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to <laughs> ask you, you know, just sort of going backwards for just a minute. In in a in a an interview, you describe Sweat Records as quote a mission driven independent music store and all ages event space. What is the mission? Uh, we have all kinds of writing on this, but you know, the mission really was to bring people together over music in Miami. And I know I grew up in the suburbs in Kendall and ached to find people that liked the music I liked. I was the, you know, I had my little Rolling Stone and spin subscriptions and I'd be in my bedroom, like pouring over them and finding whatever I could in bins at Best Buy and Peaches and Specs and the other CD shops back in the day. But, you know, I really met some of the best friends of my life through musical things like joining band mailing lists and being like, hi, on the slim chance that anyone's in Miami, like I'm a fan of this band too. And someone wrote back from a nearby high school and we're still friends, you know? That's so cool. those kinds of things are life-changing for a lot of people. And you know, one of the best things about sweat is watching young kids come in. And we have customers that are eight, nine years old that come in with tasted music already, you know? And it's so great. Like people ask a lot like, oh, do kids just buy whatever Tyler, the creator, Lana Del Rey? Yeah, some of them do, but they all have the internet and a lot of them look up, okay, who was the influence to, you know, these bands? Who was this? And, you know, I remember when my little cousin, you know, 15 years ago, who was into Green Day, came up to me one day and was like, have you heard of The Clash? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Why, yes, like, I have. Oh, I heard, I've heard the Green Day love them. Should I check it out? And I was like, yes. Why, yes, yes you this. should. <laughs> yeah. And like, kids come in and they're buying like the Velvet Underground and stuff. So they're oh, cool. Man. Like, it's wow, There's hope. There's hope yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and my 15 year old has been making playlists now for a number of years, quite good. And, you know, he, he, it started kind of heavy on the hip hop, but then, you know, all of a sudden fleet foxes started popping up in there and, and, and Andrew bird. And I'm like, uh, wow, maybe I'm not failing as a parent here, but, um, but it's outside an algorithm. It's not fed through an algorithm. I think that's the beauty of sweat, right? That you're getting this taste of something because it's not fed to you. It's discovered. I think, isn't that the, the difference between the two? I mean, absolutely. Like every record in our store is available 
on the internet, if not from us, than someone else, but people still come in. Why? Yeah. Right. And it's because of the experience. Like it is so fun to come into our like beautiful, clean, well-organized, perfectly curated record store and like mm. flip through amazing stuff you've never contemplated while our really cool, friendly, helpful, knowledgeable staff help you out when you need it. Like we really have like worked really hard on that experience because so many places either like aren't friendly, like, you know, the old school, like high fidelity sort of stereotype of, Oh, you want Stevie wonder. That's bullshit. We're like, hell yes, Stevie wonder right this way. You know, like we, we feel very populist about what we do. Like we have all the mainstream stuff, but we also have like an amazing selection of like obscure Japanese eighties records for if that's your thing. So you know, we do try to have something for everyone. And um, I, I really feel like the the collection of records we have now is the best we've ever had. And I just spent a week in London record shopping and I still feel that way. So oh, was, nice. Uh, nice. you just <laughs> referenced um, 80s, you know, obscure ap- Japanese records from the 80s. And I have to read, I was reading your uh, Instagram today and your, your post, I don't know if it's today, it's your most recent Instagram post. The short version is that booking an indie pop band from Canada at a Miami nightclub in 2002 led me to my BFF and future co-founder of Sweat Records. At Montreal Stars, were touring for their debut album, Night Songs, which was only ever issued once on vinyl in a Japanese edition of 300. Hmm. Yesterday, we announced that Sweat Records are co-releasing a deluxe reissue that also includes their fantastic EP tracks from that era. This first pressing is nearly sold out already, and it's amazing to read the comments from people around the world that still have such affection for this lovely album. That is so rootsy and beautiful and like <laughs> organic. I mean, talk to me about that experience and, and, and your co-founder. And I mean, that kind of sums up who you are and why you are in the mission, I suspect. Yeah, that, um, you know, my, my best friend, Sarah, my best friend to this day was a WVUM DJ and my high school best friend who went to UM had a crush on her and had the show before her. And so he helped me book this band that I had booked at, for a promo spot on WVUM because they were getting played there all the time. And that was really the thing that brought Sarah and I together originally. So um, you know, we, we booked all kinds of bands back in the day. We booked um, Desaparecidos, which is one of Bright Eyes' band, uh, Lightning Bolt. You know, I, there's, I have huge lists in my archives, but we did a lot of that. And they all led to really cool experiences. But that was amongst the most special because the second we started talking, we realized we were both, you know, left-handed, huge Prince fans. Um, the record label that Stars were on were actually from her hometown in Michigan, so she was already well in the know and a million other things in common and, you know, best friends to this day. So, and then her and I, she, while she was studying for the bar exam is when we decided to open sweat together. So mm. we would work on record store stuff and then do some bar exam study and, you know. Well, as a fellow lefty, can, yeah, yes. you know, find the simpatico. <laughs> uh, one thing I read about you, and you had said it earlier. You know, you said when you were writing to su- extending yourself to some of these bands to be part of their community, you just wrote them to see if they got an uh, an answer from them. You had said something about not waiting for permission. That was your advice to somebody else: not waiting for permission, like to write a letter and to anticipate or not get a response. 
So obviously that just doesn't come out of the air. Did you have other people besides Sarah that believed in you and supported you in this mission without permission? I mean, you know, my parents always raised me to say that I could do whatever I wanted, you know, whatever I set my mind to and put work into was something I could achieve. And I had previous to sweat worked at the local Virgin Megastore for six years, um, which I pretty much was the first person they hired after they opened because I pestered them until they gave me a job. (laughs) And at age 16, completely nailed the trivia questionnaire of uh, entertainment world trivia to be able to get that job. I was like, I know I'm young, give me a chance. Um, (laughs) So that was like an incredibly formative experience. And I had already been promoting nightclub things. So that already felt like a small business I was running, um, doing these club nights with, you know, setting up album release parties with, record labels and booking bands and booking the DJs and, you know, closing out the nights and all that. So I had that sort of business experience, um, even though it didn't come from school, but I had my retail chops and, you know, just figured if we could find a cute enough, cheap enough space that we could make it work for a minute. Um, Again, like, it's so crazy, like, looking back, like, we really weren't like, what if it fails? Like, that was literally never a question. So, Mm. um, I don't know. I do definitely believe in not always waiting to do too much. I don't know what to say. I did research. We made a whole business plan. We went through all the like, you know, independent professional steps we could at the ages of 22 and 24 when we started. But, you know, we didn't, there were a lot of people who didn't believe in us and, and kind of rightfully, because in Miami, a lot of people love to talk game that they were going to do X, Y, Z, and then it would never happen. So, right. Right. You know, what do you do with those voices? Us, Did you yeah. listen? Did you hear anything? Well, Did it affect you? Oh, not to them. Cause we were going to do it, you know? Mm. So when we, it was really validating for us to, for people to be like, Oh, you're going to open a record store, hand them a flyer with an address and say, yes, here's where it's going to be. Like that was yeah. very, very powerful. But no, when we first opened, we were like asking the New Times to cover our opening. And they literally gave us the tiniest paragraph that was like, in semi-music related news, Sweat Records opened its doors today with a party with Otto von Schirach and a bounce house and whatever. And three months later, we're on the cover. Right. Nice. Shove it up yeah. their ass. Yeah. I love it. I want to I, I wanna speak a little bit to like Miami because I mean, I, you and I were both born and raised in Miami. And mm. um and you said something very important that most people don't know because now Miami's so shiny and everyone wants to go to Miami and everyone's moving there and the, you know the, the art scene is well established. But it wasn't long ago. I mean, it was really like ten years ago. It wasn't. And you know, I, I moved there in '09. Back there, I should say, and and I was a struggling artist in the Bay Area and came to Miami and was a struggling artist. And then, you know, things started to kind of go 2015 or so for a minute. But what I got to witness was the sort of DIY vibe in the art scene among real committed artists. And the real committed artists in, in Miami are, are as good as they, as they come. And many have enjoyed great success and great recognition. However, not many, even those who have had, had, had extraordinary retrospectives and been in the top you know, BNLs and whatever, nobody's really making much money. It's a hard gig. Um, I consider you an artist, very much an artist, very much a creator, a curator of culture and, 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 and taste. Um, and you do seem to be paying the bills and you do, do seem, you seem to have kind of <laughs> cracked the code on how to be in this space 
and, 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 and a creative space and stay true to what your vision looks like and have some entrepreneurial success. Is that, first of all, an accurate assessment? And, and if that is the case, like, you know, why, why you, why not them? Is it the music business? It's a retail business. It's an online selling business versus like making a painting and hoping that the phone rings. Like what, what differentiates you? Well, it's really nice that it looks that way, (laughs) but I was completely broke for my entire twenties and most of thirties, like, you know, selling records is the stupidest business you could be in. I don't recommend it. Um, (laughs) No, uh, honestly, it's just the, the fact of the matter. And it's from day one, the markup on music is smaller than the markup in a lot of other world areas of retail. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have to do more volume and or you have to do what we did, which is create alternate streams of revenue, which is why we've always had nightclubs and done partnership events around town. And I programmed background music. That was like my side job for five years and um, for, you know, making playlists for hotels and restaurants, um, DJing weddings, (laughs) et cetera. So, you know, it really like is a labor of love for sure. It's not something I did to be successful making money wasn't on the top 10 lists of why we started sweat. Um, I, my, you know, my dad's a musician, which <laughs> if you're not a certain level of musician, you didn't grow up, you know, we went to public school, we had free lunch, like, you know, it's not a lucrative business unless you hit a certain level. And I'm sure Amoeba makes money even more so now because they get to have a dispensary next door to their record shop, yeah. which we cannot yet in Florida. But, um, you know, it's really hard. It's really, really, really hard. Uh, the cost of doing business in a, just in a space that's open to the public just gets more expensive every year. Um, especially Miami. So, you know, it has been a hard road for us. And I, thankfully, I just, I've never been a person with a lot of like material needs. I, I don't like my dad's a Buddhist and the older I get, the more thankful I am for that because you can't convince me that wanting more stuff makes you happier. Yeah. It's yeah. Opposite, I agree. You know? Do you feel like you got to the other side though, over the hill, so to speak of, I got this and it's not going to stop. Was there a part where you got to the base of that hill? I mean, we're, we're still figuring things out every single quarter. You know, we always mm-hmm. want to make our business better, but one of the things we committed to a couple of years ago was paying our employees a minimum of $15 an hour, which almost no, you know, not a lot of retail does especially not independent entertainment retail. When I started at Virgin, I was paid $6 and 25 cents an hour in 1999. And seven years later, when I left, I don't think I had hit seven fifty. Mm. So they, they sure got some good labor out of me. Cause I really wanted to do every damn task in that entire building. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think what we do is important. I, I really think, um, you know, one of my biggest mentors is Mitch Kaplan from books and books. Yep. who's you know, a legend. And, he's given me so much wisdom over the years and we really run parallel businesses because, you know, he straight up says like, we're a cultural organization that funds itself through the sale of books. And I really believe that we're the same thing, but it's records. Yeah. I I agree. As a, as a citizen of this, of your city, (laughs) I, you are to records, what Mitch is to books. And that is a very large statement. (laughs) 
Um, and I, 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 you know, we often ask the question, what was your swan dive? And I don't need to ask that question to you because you've already answered it. But the thing that you are so passionate about, your enthusiasm level doesn't seem to have waned at all. Uh, money be damned. I mean, we all need money. We've talked about this extensively on this show. We don't poo poo the just follow your dream, man. You know, we all got to pay the bills. Um, but the fact that you have, uh, you're doing it, you're getting it done. You're by any means necessary and you still love your job and you are still, you know, giving something back to the community that is so invaluable. Um, it, and the ethos in your words is, is so, uh, it's so yummy. I, I just love, I love hearing your story. I, I found a quote of yours that made me kind of fall madly in love with you. Uh, it was in the new tropic, uh, from 2021. And the quote was, carry a reusable water bottle, listen to records and don't be a racist. And I mean, that was like, that's I'm, for my children. It's like, here, dude, this is, you want to know how to live and be well in, in the world. Like that, this is it right here. That's actually on um, my sign for the school board tonight. Damn. I'll tell you. It should be. It should we should be. make bumper stickers. Um, you know, you did, you, 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 uh, you, you also had a, a, a party every year for record store day. Is that something you're still doing out in the, uh, like a block party? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, the, the, it's, it's not as much of a block party since the Churchill's part of our block is, uh, currently not a thing, but, um, right. we still have a big party at the store this year. We had the biggest line that we ever had wrapped around the whole building um, it's incredible. People wait, it, you know, I used to wait in line for concert tickets and things like that. And once in a while, a, a midnight madness Monday release date, but record store day is cool. You know, there's, you know, like with everything popular, there's some criticism, but it really is just a fun day. People celebrate records. Um, just, you know, one of the things that we do wish is that we saw more of those people throughout the year. Cause some people just come on record store day. So this year we actually have like a plan to like put an insert in all the bags. That's like, Hey, we'd love to see you outside of record store day. Here's a coupon. Right. <laughs> that's how you keep reinventing out. yourself. That's it. Yeah. You you had said too, also, you know, music has informed your whole life. And if you weren't doing something in the music business, you'd be miserable. And, and, uh, it, I was, my question is, um, if you didn't stick, if this didn't stick, what would you be doing? You mean nothing music related? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, in the music, uh, is there anything else in the music industry that interested you? that interests well, you. Well, I always liked trying on all the different hats, you know, we've, um, you know, we've released, uh, over the years, like probably almost 10, 10 pieces of vinyl, something like that. So we've worked in production. We always make a lot of merch, got our sweat merch. Oh yeah. Um, so we love doing production kind of stuff. And I, yeah, I worked in background music. I've DJed, I've produced events, I've done stuff. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd probably consult small businesses and things like that. And just, you know, help other entities sort of not, make mistakes that are avoidable and, you know, do probably business coaching. Oh, and then actually the other thing I would do if I was retiring was I would be a uh, professional organizer because ah. that is my shit. So I've like, you know, gone over to friends' houses, spend the afternoon with them reorganizing their pantry. And like six months later, they're still telling me their life is different. So <laughs> that kind of stuff is uh, enjoyable for me. And, you know, I don't know, I'm a little... <laughs> fidgety i've always had busy hands my dad said so you know helping organize people is nice your store is um, like a rubik's cube you keep putting it back together again you know oh yeah we're it's, yeah i mean you gotta just constantly you know the first question on the job interview is do you know the alphabet <laughs> <laughs>
So in 2016, you were uh, had a guest appearance on Art Loft, the the PBS show in South Florida. Which, by the way, I I made a couple of segments on Art Loft for uh, called Meet Your Makers with some some of the local artists, some of my friends, which was which was fun. But basically, that gig that that appearance turned into you being selected as a full time co host of the program, which is now in its uh, eighth season. Tell us about that experience and how it it has evolved. You know. In, taking your skills to television. Sure. That was random. Um, yeah, I, uh, so I, I did it for three seasons. Um, after that, they cut budgets and now don't, don't have a hosted show format. So it's just sort of right. like a voiceover thing, but it was really fascinating. Um, I had recently actually read the Shonda Rhimes year of yes book. Uh-huh. And I had been in a sort of a conserve my energy mode, um, I was long distance with my partner at the time, so I had more energy was spent on traveling and whatnot. So I was just sort of like in turtle mode for a minute. And then I had read that book. I was like, okay, those are a lot of really good points. And then when they asked me to audition, I was like, yes, I will do this. And it ended up being really fun. And, you know, I, you know, think of the people that I love that watch PBS and how they would enjoy seeing me on it. Like my dad, you know, like Mm. they always say when you're doing television, talk to one person and he was always my one person. So um, I I learned a lot, you know, I had to do training. Obviously I wasn't like a trained television personality. I I Googled, um, you know, much like when sweat first opened and we did start actually getting press. I was very shy. I was always, you know, I was DJing and at the nightclubs, but whenever I would see the nightclub photographer coming around, I would like scoot in the other direction. Cause I was like, I'm good. I'm good. So it's a behind the scenes kind of, kind of person, but, um, you know, I would Google like how not to look awkward in photos and follow that advice so that I could represent the store. So I, I just sort of applied the same thing to television. Like I literally was like how to host television and like read everything I could and watched people's tips. And, but it was great. It was really cool. It took me all over South Florida. My co-host Jumani Namdi is amazing. It was like great to like be friends with him. The, the, The staff were cool. Just the fact that, I mean, I grew up on PBS, so being able to even give a little thing back was was so amazing. Must've been really hard for you to pick your theme music. I'm just kidding. You know, I uh, tried to get them to change the theme music because <laughs> it was kind of this little jammy, like library music tune thing. And it's cute, but I found like this really great South Florida track that would have been so good, but it was like one notch too cool for them. <laughs> I, I respect that, but I did try it. I love it. Hey, so um, um, I, I still get Rolling Stone magazine, and I believe when I let my subscription die, I am going to perish. You know, it's just like like my <laughs> vestige of youth. And the last issue was the future of music. And there were some fascinating stats in there about uh, Spotify and where things are going. Uh, my question for you is, what are some of the big things you're seeing for the future of music? It's interesting. I mean, you know, probably us in the industry worry a little more about, you know, basically major labels repeating the same mistakes they repeat with every format over and over throughout the years, which Mm -hmm. is making it too expensive, making it too ubiquitous and diminishing the value, right? Like I was working at a CD store the first time a CD, I saw a CD get list priced at $18.99. And that was right when iTunes was happening. So if it was some pop record that you could buy the two singles off of iTunes for $1.98 combined, why would you spend $18.99 on this crappy piece of plastic? So, you know, we've watched the majors increase the prices of a lot of records over the years. We find it mostly distasteful, um, but kind of roll with it as we can. 
music wise, I really just think the boundaries are being broken down, you know, like everybody has a recording studio in their pocket. It's really more about like a special spark than it is about connections, you know, think of how many people have become famous from a YouTube clip that they posted that just saw the right pair of eyes. Um, you know, people have like Emmys and Grammys now who were discovered on the internet. So I just think that it's so much more democratic and the people, it, it, it's more important for the people who have those sparks to just get good management around them and good support around them than anything else. Like I'm a big music documentary watcher. Like I've seen hundreds and the villain for most of the music documentaries are the record labels yeah, of course. or, or, or drug and alcohol addiction. Like, you know, we don't want it to be that way. Um, thankfully there are so many good, honest, equitable record labels who are doing fantastic work, who've broken artists like, you know, Nirvana as a classic example, sub pop records, put them out and, you know, they were able to fund legions of music after that and, you know, merge with arcade fire and XL records with Adele, like all these smaller labels that have had huge hits have turned around and done so much good work with that and still remain equitable and great to work with to this day. So, you know, I, I just always wish the majors would behave better, but at the end of the day, they're like really huge corporations and they're really just beholden to bottom line. So, you know, I just, we, we deal with them as we need to. So the future will be the past in some respects. <laughs> Well, it, a lot of cycles will repeat and hopefully like better, you know, there is a lot more infrastructure now for support for artists of different types. There's, you know, I do love the Grammys Music Cares Initiative. I've volunteered with them many times over the years and supported them. They do hearing clinics for artists and help them get like custom fitted hearing protection. They do dental clinics. They do just, you know, ca cash gifts for artists affected by natural disaster or disease or whatnot. So you know, there, there are a lot of positive initiatives, the whole Girls Rock Camp worldwide initiative that Miami, you know, is now in the sixth year of. There's so many great things out there. I just hope all of those are more supported and, you know, uh, that people are able to find their own way without necessarily having to sign away everything to a big company. Let's talk a little bit about that because you just sort of itemized a few of the ways that you're giving back. And we're all about this sort of learn, earn, return idea in life, you know, each third of your life. And you're, you're not even in the last third of your life, far from it, but you're all about returning and giving back, as you said, with PBS, um, the Miami girls rock camp, uh, your work with the recording Academy, um, gets a little bit more specific with us about ways you're giving back. And, you know, we're, we're also all about shouting out whomever, um, to raise awareness and, and, and help you. There's so much going on. Basically there's like, my, my, my people don't realize like how much is really happening in Miami as far as like the um, community of people doing good work is concerned and how large it is. Like one of my, the examples I point to for that is the Give Miami Day uh, event every November that the Miami Foundation puts on, which, you know, 800, 900 different nonprofits that are doing good work in Miami register that day. And everyone encourages all their audiences on that day to all contribute. And then there's a bunch of matching pools and whatnot. And they've been raising like 20, $30 million in a I day with it. those things. And um, so one of their sort of sub initiatives at the Miami foundation is called the music access fellowship. And they've basically gathered 65 different organizations that serve music to youth in some way. And 
not only are giving them funding, but are encouraging collaboration. So maybe two small ones that didn't have enough money to have an office space get together and they share an office space. So they're trying to, you know, make things like that happen, make it more efficient. I think that's great. I mean, obviously it'd be better if just like music lessons in school were funded, but since that's not the reality we live in, it's amazing that there's so many people doing something about that. Um, You know, there, there's, you know, I did the Miami Fellows program, which is another Miami Foundation program that taught me a lot of leadership skills and gave me a lot of insight into how different parts of the city operate. We also did a trip to Panama and saw a lot of uh, parallels between here and there. And then I also did Radical Partners Social Entrepreneurship Bootcamp, which was great because that was basically a, a way to sort of block out time to actually focus on like growing and changing and stuff with sweat. So, you know, any of these programs are, are great and worthwhile. They're all still going. Radical Partners also runs a neighborhood champion sort of program where they train people who are making moves in their specific neighborhoods. So, you know, it's just great that all these things are happening. And, you know, Miami is a complicated city. There's so much we need, mostly housing and transit that's affordable. Yeah. Um, in, in the meantime, you know, I think there's help out there and a lot of people doing good work. Right on. Yeah, yeah well, we can- you're certainly one of them. Some of the <laughs> problems can be solved by just listening to a really good piece of vinyl. So you know, <laughs> just mellowing like, out. Yeah. Let, 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 let's, um, you've now, you know, you've been around the block a, a minute for a minute here. What, what's an epic fail that you look back on and you just almost have to laugh in your, in your journey. Um, I think I'm lucky in that I don't like, focus on that stuff too much. I usually am someone to like learn a lesson and move on. I mean, you know, my, one of my favorite pieces of advice ever is from John Waters. And it's like, I have engineered my entire life to never work with assholes. (laughs) And (laughs) that really just, you know, and, and, you know, with scheduling time, if it's, I'm not going to do an in-person meeting unless it's somebody I actually want to hang out with, you know, otherwise I can do, I can do a phone call, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Just learning lessons like that, I think, has been really important. And and contrarily, what are what is something that you're most proud of? Um, I mean, I'm most proud of just still being open, man. It's really hard. Like, I can't even tell you the like million different things we have to deal with on a daily basis. Like, these two records came dinged. Someone's emailing us asking about this different shipping option. You know, the credit card company says they want to do this and that. This is offline. You know, like just the sort of like day-to-day frizzle-frazzle of it can be sort of like taxing. But, I, you know, having a great staff is just such an important part of that. Like right now, my manager and general manager at the store, like fucking killing it. Like I love them so much. They're so awesome. They like text me when we're low on stuff. They like, you know, just inform me in the right ways and they they don't, you know, waste my time. They like, you know, we all value each other's time. So no one's trying to waste anyone's time. So right. I don't know. It just like when there's a great like flow of communication and everything's really clear, you know, it makes the work easier. And, you know, over time we've had to develop system over system over system to sort of make things clear. It's a complicated business selling records. I mean, it may just not sound like it, but we spend hours and hours every, like every month going through thousands of new releases, like literally every week between three and 800 new pieces of vinyl come out. And we have to pick which 
25 to 60 make it into the store. And I listen to a lot of stuff and I read constantly. Like I, I was doing ordering this morning and I had like a hundred tabs open and then I go through <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what is this? But it's, 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 it's an insane amount of work, but yeah. you know, when you divide it up and it's still mostly about a topic you love, it, it, it feels a lot less like work. You, uh, you just so accessed, lovely. you accessed a really interesting memory for me from back in the day in like the late eighties at the radio station when we would get all the new vinyl in and I was not the program director, but the program director would select the, the on Tuesday, it would be Tuesday, you would add the new records. And um, we were still running off a of cart. So on Tuesday, I got the honor of dubbing to cart the new releases. And we would only add like five records a, a, a week. But it was a very precise pulling the record out of the sleeve, putting it on. It was the first play. And if it was had a ding on it or a pop, you couldn't add it to the next week. Had to have that second pause and it had to be consistent with everything else or every DJ would get pissed at you. And I just, you just access that memory for me, man, of selecting, carefully dubbing, putting that on the thing and just making sure that it was as pristine as possible. So... There you go. Sorry, you took me back. Okay, okay yeah. you two little vinyl puppies. Break it up here. Um, Lolo, let, let's sell some records. Tell tell folks what they need to do to buy your records, buy merch, be in the game, be on the sweat, in the sweat family. We'd love to help you out any way we can. Thank you so much. Um, thankfully, we had already, you know, Miami's so transient, right? Like people move here, they move away, they move back. Incidus, exodus, back and forth forever. And we have friends in so many other cities who were like, oh, I wish I could still shop at Sweat. And this was 2018. So around 2019, we spent most of that year building a web shop. And then COVID happened. And we had just launched two weeks before. Hell so yeah. thank the universe. We had a way to make a little bit of money. We still had to lay off like, you know, everyone but one of our staff and be closed for three months. But, you know, could have been way worse. We could have not mm -hmm. had a web shop. So mm -hmm. we've actually been building it and building it and building it. And it's looking really cute. We have one of the best world music sections of any record store I've gone to lately. We really love world music. I love Miami. It's a city where you can walk into like a Target and hear six different languages spoken just walking around in the aisles. And I love that. And so we have now have people coming in for our Japanese records, records from the Middle East, from Spain and all over the Caribbean and, and South America. So definitely check out our world music section. We've also... One of my pet projects has been collecting as many reissues as I can possibly find of the vintage Miami soul and funk that mm -hmm. was pretty big here in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. that started with the like Deep City Records with Betty Wright, who was a, a friend of the store, rest in peace. And um, later on with TK Records, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Timmy Thomas, all of that. So if you go to our web shop, you can actually look at our Miami Funk and Soul section. And we have like 12 or 14 releases there, which is more than has ever been available in our lifetimes currently. So we, to me, I'm, I'm really proud of that Miami Funk and Soul section because some of those records I literally have imported from Italy, mm. even though it's a record that got made you know, five miles down the road. So it's it's wild to me, like that it's Italians who found this, loved it and put it out. And then I'm buying it back from my store in Miami, but there you go. So yeah. And all our merch is on the site. Um, we ship all over America for five bucks. And we also have a Discog store with all of our rare stuff. So if you just Google sweat records, we, we Google pretty well. Nice. Nice. So glad <laughs> to have sweat with you today. That's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Lola Reskin, the founder of Sweat Records, a Miami institution, someone who is curating the sound of our lives in that beautiful city and beyond. It is such a pleasure to have you with us on Swan Dive. Thank you. Thank y'all so much. This was really fun. I deeply enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.